Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Um, <laughs> growing up, I was a child, uh, born in 1984, and I, uh, I grew up, the 90s is what I really remember, right? The, the early 90s, like they shaped me. And there was a show, um, I had a pretty early bedtime, a, a pretty strict house, but for some weird reason, I wasn't allowed to watch most cartoons, like G.I. Joe's, Gummy Bears was my f- favorite cartoon ever, but I couldn't watch that because there was Magic Potion. But for some strange reason, I was allowed to watch a show called Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Anybody remember that show? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like He's always walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night in a creepy voice telling us about this mass murderer who's on the loose. Or like this supposed video of this alien abduction, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's just like this strange story. And as a kid, I'm like seven years old, just amped up watching Unsolved Mysteries. The show ends. My mom's like, it's bedtime. Take the dog out first. And so I'm, I'm outside with my dog at night, just waiting to be abducted. Like, who's coming at me? There is a murderer around here somewhere. Aliens. And like, that was... I love the show, but yet it terrified me. I just couldn't get enough of it. And I kind of grew up, I think it really shaped part of my life. I, I grew up, every project I've ever done in school has been on like Bigfoot or the Salem Witchcraft Trials or the Bermuda Triangle. I was always just obsessed with mystery, like just wanting to put the pieces together. Uh, anybody else like that? Just like you love a good mystery show. Um, and... Sometimes with mystery, you don't really get your answers that you want. And I would say this morning, as we approach the text, there is a mystery in this text that's still unsolved. It's not fully resolved. There's speculation. And so I have to let you know from that point, some of what I say, and I'll clarify, you'll know what I mean, is speculation. Like we don't fully know the characters involved. Make sense? There's a little bit of a mystery. I love a good mystery story. So like, let's approach the text today with, with passion because one, it's the word of God, and two, this is real people, and three, it's exciting because it's mysterious. Um, if we understand that, we approach this as a holy book with mystery and, and wisdom for us, it's a lot more than just an ancient text. Make sense? A few mumblers agree with me this morning. That's okay. Um, let's go to Luke chapter 24. So Ben, we started this series last week uh, looking at the events between Easter and Pentecost. We're actually going to carry this out up into the, to the week of Pentecost, celebrating Pentecost together, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in the disciples and in those in the upper room and pours out a spirit, and we begin to see gifts really manifest and the church is released to be the body on the earth. Um, that's, that's what we're looking at, that period in between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, okay? And we're going we're gonna to walk through these stories together. And last week, Ben had sh- shared about Mary seeing Jesus. She thought he was a gardener, and he revealed himself to her, and he gave her a mission, and, he, and she took the news of his resurrection to the disciples. And we see that Peter and John run back to the tomb, and they look inside. Peter looks inside. John kind of stands off, and they see 
the, the, the linen cloth that was around Jesus laying there. And that's where our story picks up in Luke's gospel. We're going to look at this verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Look at that. They looked sad. They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man, who was a, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and before all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, say we had hoped, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who, had, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in the, all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I want to pause there for a minute. This is a wild story because there's a few things happening. These are disciples. There's two disciples of Christ, but they're not a part of the twelve. We find that clearly stated later. They're not a part of the eleven who are still alive because Judas is dead. They're two disciples disciples of Christ following him. They had put their hopes in him to deliver them, right? These are two people, and we don't fully know who these people are, but we do know that his name is Cleopas. And, and there's some speculation that this Cleopas, his wife's name is Mary, and they act, some people actually think that the other person with him is a woman named Mary. It could be this Cleopas, it could be a different Cleopas. That's what we do not know, okay? But let's say it is this Cleopas, and whose wife's name is Mary. This Mary, who is now probably with this Cleopas, walking back to Emmaus, walking to a home, she was one of the four women with Jesus on his crucifixion, at his crucifixion. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary's sister, so Jesus' aunt, or aunt, you guys say up in Scranton, right? Let's say aunt. Let me see a hand. Nobody says aunt. Okay, so it's only like the Simmons family who says aunt. I assume that was a, a Scranton thing. Okay, so I'm right with saying aunt. Let me see ants. Like aunt and uncle, not like ants that crawl on the ground. Ants, okay. All right. I thought I was out of the norm here. Anyway, so ants, let's just go with that. Um, it's Jesus' aunt, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and then this Mary, right? That's a lot of Marys. Three Marys and an aunt, okay? That's what's happening here. She's one of these women who were there at the foot of the cross the day that he died, right? 
That's probably who it is. It could be. It couldn't. It might not be. But either way, this is not a part of the 12, but these are people who had put their hopes in Christ, and they're walking back to Emmaus. They're walking away, seven miles away from where Jesus and his disciples were, right? They had heard this news from women, but they don't see a body yet, and they're walking away disheartened. They're sad. They're grieved. They're confused, right? My hope was in him. We put him in the ground, and now today he's not even in the ground. I don't understand what's happening. And here's the testimony of some women. Ben alluded to it last week. The testimony of a woman was not something you could bank on in that culture. Not because women were compulsive liars. They were just seen as a second-class citizen. So you didn't bank on it. So now these guys are scratching their head, and they're walking away. And here's, here's Cleopas and possibly Mary, possibly another disciple. We don't know. Walking away from where the epicenter of all that has happened, and they're discouraged, they're confused, they're frustrated, and they're walking back to Emmaus. Either way, whoever these people are, we know that these are not part of the 12, right? This is the round two of disciples, this is like you didn't make the first round of the draft, but you're, uh, you're not part of the inner circle. But yet you're a disciple. You're a follower. Does this sound similar? Like to me, if I'm Jesus, right, like Ben said last week, and I'm showing up, I'm not showing up to Mary. I'm not showing up to guys who weren't even in my close, close group. These are like the guys who kind of were disciples, kind of on the fringe. They put their hopes in me, but I didn't call them my 12. Make sense? I'm not showing up to those guys. I'm showing up to the 12, and I'm showing up to the high priest. I'm showing up to, to all the Roman officials and saying, look, you got it wrong. Here I am. Write it in the newspaper or whatever newspaper, the Roman Times, I guess. Um, Times New Roman, that's what it would be. I just made that joke up right now. I'm, I feel pretty proud of that at this moment, just <laughs> letting you know. That's my favorite font, by the way. I'm kidding. Cool. Wow. Let's move on. They had had all their hopes in him, and for some reason they don't recognize him. Their hopes were crushed. Have you ever walked away from a situation where your hopes were just crushed? You probably weren't walking, you were probably driving. But you, you just had your hopes crushed. Like the thing you were hoping in, the things that you, 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 that job interview that you know just bombed, or, or that test grade you just failed, you, you, or that situation with... Uh, a friend or a coworker that you were hoping would re- be resolved, but it seems like it got worse. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Or that visit to the doctors that didn't go the way you thought it would go at all, and all your hopes, all your all your energies just zapped. It's just gone. I want you to understand. In this culture, I was just listening to a podcast the other day about Roman history during this time. Shortly after, we see Cicero. Is, is basically planning his insurrection. And, and part, of, part of his campaign, so to speak, is a pride of how many slaves he had and how many people he murdered to get in power. Like, can you, like, I mean, I know that our politics in the election time is nuts in the U.S., right? But I don't see anybody campaigning with a billboard saying, I killed thousands, vote for me. Like, that's not exactly how it worked, right? That's how it was in Rome. The more you killed, the more you enslaved that meant you were the best. If you were a Roman man during this time, you could literally have sex with any other person as long as they weren't another Roman male adult. Like, that's the culture. Like, whatever you want to do, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter where they come from, it doesn't matter if they're yours or not, you just do what you want. 
Like this is the culture of complete depravity, right? And so here we are, Jewish people, with this crazy set of like, this is what peace looks like. This is what shalom looks like. This is what purity looks like. These are the rules that we live by. And now we can't live by those rules. We can't follow this Sabbath. We can't follow this like separation of ourselves. They were called to be a holy people, right? Set apart. And so they're no longer set apart and holy. Now they are plunged into slavery and debauchery and, and just violence galore, right? We, we, I, I hate when I hear people say, man, the world's just getting really bad. It's the worst we've ever seen. No, you didn't live in Rome. We're not hanging Christians up along the streets, main streets here, lighting them with fire for lamps. Like, I would say we got it pretty good, guys, just so you know. Anyway, that's a side story. Can you, can you imagine being a part of that, that world, and the one person you thought was going to fix it all was crucified, buried, and now we can't even find his body. This is like, and they're trying, they're wrestling. We're like, Jesse, they were just told that they had seen him. Yeah, a couple of women came and said, hey, he's alive. And you're kind of like, do I get my hopes up again? Because I saw him do miracles. Now I see as an empty grave. I saw him heal the sick. Now I, I saw him hanging on the cross and put in the ground, and all I see is some bloody rags. Does this make sense? I want you to understand they had lost their sense of hope, and Jesus is walking with them. Hey, why are you so sad, guys? What's going on? And they're like, don't you know, are you the only person in this whole region who doesn't understand what we're feeling right now? Are you, are you the only one? And, and Jesus goes, you guys, you foolish ones. Don't, don't you understand? I, I would say that they didn't recognize him for a few different things. One, they didn't expect this. This was not at all in their framework of how the Messiah would deliver them. They did not expect a physical resurrection. It didn't compute with their framework. Secondly, Jesus was somehow transformed. Jesus looks different. He's different. How do I know that? Because Mary thinks he's a gardener. The disciples, whenever they're out later on fishing, and they had already seen him, whenever they're out fishing, and he says, hey, throw it on to the other side, guys, at the end of John. They're like, uh, is that Jesus? I don't know who that guy is. And then one's like, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter's like, let me go after him. He's swimming toward him. It's a great scene at the end of John. He puts his clothes on to swim. It's funny. I don't know why. Um, we kind of do it the opposite, but Peter, Peter thought differently. Jesus looks different. And they don't understand him here. They had had all their hopes in here, and, and he's walking with them. And he says, hey, you guys don't get it, do you? Jesus responds to their confusion. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, I looked up this word because it sounds really mean, doesn't it? Oh, foolish ones, right? And it's the word anoyatos, which I thought, that sounds like he's annoyed at them, right? He's anoyatos, right? But it really is Jesus saying, you lack information, you lack the wisdom on this. Let me give it to you. Jesus doesn't respond to their foolishness or lack of wisdom by mocking and ridiculing. He, he, he takes time with them to teach them new things. Whenever you're frustrated, whenever you don't have the answers, I'm thankful that we have a God who doesn't mock you for it. He comes and he walks with you longer. He says, let me explain. And he says, he explained how all the Old Testament, all the scriptures dealt with him. It's a seven mile walk, right? And he explains a pretty big chunk, 
right? It's a lot. He explains it saying, this all points to me, to the Christ. It points to Christ. It points to Christ. It points to Christ. So let me tell you about this passage. It points to Christ. Let me tell you about that passage. It points to Christ. Let me tell you about this one. And these things make sense right now, even though you don't fully see it. You guys with me? Let's read verse 28. So they drew near the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Let me just pause right there. Like, that's funny. They have been walking with him. He literally explains the entire Old Testament about the Messiah. And they get into this house. He's, he's pretending to go further. He's like, all right, see you guys. And they're like, no, 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 no. Come into our house. Come, come sit, eat. It's late. Look, look. Come, come in here. And so they make a meal. They get a meal together. And they sit down at the table. And he breaks it and he hands it to them. And it's, I've seen this before. I know what this is. And, and in that moment, instead of Jesus being like, Guys, it was me the whole time. Like, this was pretty funny, right? It was me. I explained that about me. He vanishes. He's gone. Just gone. I, I think it's funny. This is real. This is real life. This happened. All right? He broke it and he blessed it, and then they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let me explain that last little verse there, verse 34. They come back. They journey the whole way back. It says right away. So it's like evening time, right? It says right there, they, they're like, hey, our hearts came alive inside of us. Let's go back and tell the gang again. So they journey back. They get there. There's a bunch of disciples hanging out. And apparently it's, uh, during this time, Peter had seen the Lord as well. And they confirmed. They said, yeah, not only what they said, but not only what Peter said, we've seen it too. Jesus has, is, a, is risen. He's alive. He, they bring their testimony to the disciples. I, I was kind of thinking through this, like we, we don't have we don't have an explanation of how Peter saw Jesus at all. And I think that's hilarious. Peter, like the one that like they built the church on, right? The one that like Jesus commissions. And we don't have his story. We see it confirmed in two different verses that Jesus, Jesus appeared to Peter after Mary, he appeared to Peter, and then to these two. And we don't see that story. In my mind, I kind of just, and this is where the speculation comes in, so take it for what it is. You have women come up to the disciples. Hey, guys, we saw Jesus. He's alive. Peter's like, okay, I'm going to check this out. He goes to check it out. And somewhere, these two guys wander away. They get back, and Peter shows up with the disciples. Hey, guys, I saw it too. And they're like, shut up, Peter. Shut up. We don't believe you. You're, you're, this is Peter, the guy hacking at ears, always wants to be in the front. You're, you guys know what I'm talking about? And they're just, I can just imagine, this is a group of disciples not really ready to get their, their, their hearts back into this. And these two 
rank B, second-class disciples, if we can say that, who aren't a part of the 12, come running back and say, he was with us. We confirm what they have said, Jesus has risen. That's what's happening here. I want you to see the key to the story. As I look at this, Jesus explains all that he is, and then he finishes, and they invite him in for more. They get to the end of the road, they get to their home, and they stop and they invite him in for more. They prepare a meal and a place for him. It was only after the breaking of bread that they recognized him. See, bread was a reminder that the next time that he would eat with them would be in his kingdom, when he comes and makes all things new, right? I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't, we don't see that Jesus actually ate the bread. He gives the bread. He reminds them, here's a new covenant. I'm giving this thing to you. I, I, I broke my body for you. Their eyes are open when he breaks it. And I, and I wonder if when he broke the bread and they saw that, the Holy Spirit began to do something. And I wonder if they remembered the text that he had probably just explained in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It says this, And I will give you a new heart. And the new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's a prophecy. It's an Old Testament prophecy of God saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. Jesus explains how all the Old Testament, Ezekiel is about him. And here they are. He's breaking the bread, a new covenant. And Ezekiel, this passage is considered a foretaste of the new covenant to come. Make sense? This is a prophecy of what God's going to do. He breaks the bread, and they realize our hearts came alive. Did not our hearts leap within us? Did they not burn within us when he was with us? They realized something transformed in here when we were walking with him. We started out in tears. We started out in frustration and confusion, and he unpacked it for us, and our hearts came alive when he was with us, and he presented the text. You guys aren't getting this this morning. Maybe I need to explain it a different way. I want you to see that instead of a political campaign that Jesus comes back with, he explains Scripture. He doesn't say, hey guys, don't you see I'm the Messiah? Let me tell you how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to flip everything. Instead he says, don't, let me show you how I already told you how I was going to conquer. Let me show you how all of this will waken your hearts up and you'll become a new creation, a new creature fully alive, and they get it in that moment, and their hope is back. They're walking away discouraged and defeated, and now they're sprinting back to to Jerusalem with news. They've been given a mission. See, Jesus takes the text. When we see Jesus in the text, the text comes alive and transforms our heart. When we read the Scripture, it's meant to connect our heads and our hearts. It's to put both of these things together. Our hearts come alive when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus is with us, when he transforms the text into into something about him, our hearts come alive. When we see that on every page there's Jesus, our hearts burn inside of us. I would encourage you this morning that if the text, when you read it, doesn't come alive, it's probably one of two things that you need. One, you need to pray the Holy Spirit to open it up for you. That he would reveal. He guides us into all truth. 
I, I think I heard, it was John Piper I heard a while ago say that every time I approach the text, I pray beforehand. No, it was Tim Keller, sorry. Tim Keller says every time my wife and I approach the text, we pray beforehand. Why would we approach this in our own strength, in our own wisdom? We always have to come under this, under the leading of the Lord. Holy Spirit, reveal truth to me. Let my heart come alive. Let me be transformed by your word. Does it make sense? This is not a book of man-made wisdom. It's not a scientific book. It's not a history book. It's a Holy Spirit book. I would, I would say that we, we need to have him reveal that to us. And I would also say the second thing is if you're, if you're looking at this and it's not burning inside of your heart, if it doesn't come alive when you read, then I would say then you're probably looking at it asking the wrong questions. Because see, when they read it, they were looking for a political leader. When they, they read it, they were looking for an insurrectionist to overthrow Rome. Does it make sense? They were asking the wrong questions of the text. Jesus shows up and he's like, hey guys, I told you I would die and be buried and resurrect. I told you. Didn't, didn't I say that I would have to ascend to my Father in glory? Didn't I show you this already in the text? He explained it. He said, you're asking the wrong questions and let, my, let your hearts be transformed when you ask the right ones about me. The presence of Christ and the power of his word should make our hearts come alive. Verse 33 says that they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem They came and they showed up. The funny thing is about this passage, if we look at the next section here, as they were sharing with the disciples what they just saw, guess who shows up? Jesus. Now, I know I'm a little overweight. By a little, I mean a lot. It's okay. Um, I was being generous to myself. But if I just journeyed 14 miles... And I ran at night to come and tell you the good news about, let, let's just say this isn't about a big thing like Jesus, the Son of God. Let's just say like Martin, I found Martin, he was lost, and all of his family and friends were w- wondering where he's at. And I ran 14 miles after I saw him to his family and said, hey, your family is alive, or Martin's alive. And then Martin walks in the door, I'd be pretty annoyed. <laughs> I'd be like, seriously, you could have, you had to vanish without saying, hey guys, I'm going to go tell them, so just stay home, just eat a meal, it's going to be cool. Like, Jesus is just funny to me. Like, they journey back, they share the news, and he's like, ta-da, they're right, I'm here. Peace be with you, is what he says. It's, it, to me, I, I want, what I have to see in this is that Jesus doesn't need you to show himself, but he wants you to show himself. He wants you to be a part of his revealing. We serve such an awesome God. He doesn't need you to display his handiwork. He doesn't need you to display his glory. But he has asked you, come, come help me display my glory because I love you. You're not, a, you're not second round pick. You're my disciple. I showed up to you. I showed up to you in your sadness and your brokenness. When you're way back to a nowhere town, I showed up to you. I showed up. So what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do when I transform your hearts? Are you going to share it with others? Because that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm putting inside of you. They, they, I mean, it wasn't like they sat and debated. Should we go back? Should we, uh, do they know? Do you think they know? Mary's word was enough. Maybe, maybe he'll appear to somebody else. They just went. There was no debate. They just felt the burning in their hearts, and it was released. Make sense? You guys still with me this morning? 
I would say you might feel that you have lost your last chance of hope and rescue, and then Jesus shows up to put a new fire in your heart. He is our hope. He is our source of joy. He is our resurrection. He is our life. He is our Savior. He's all that we need. And when you feel like you've lost all hope, I would say let him eat with you. Meet with him. Let him fill you with hope. Let him reveal the scriptures to you in new ways. He wants to put a new heart in you this morning. You might feel like the biblical text is the last place that you want to turn when you've had a confusing and frustrating day, but I would say that with him, it's the only place you'll discover truth that you need. So often we make this our last resort. We're just frustrated. We're we're just broken. And Christ says, hey, you have my spirit. I'm giving you my words and let my words come alive and turn your heart to something new. The presence of Jesus and the unpacking of Scripture will remove remove confusion and fear and replace it with a heart that burns for him. I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you said, did not our hearts burn when he was with us? Did not my heart burn when he showed up? Last night, um, excuse me, yesterday, I was... um, doing cleaning up the bedroom a little bit and uh i had some music on and um i'll just tell you what i was playing i was listening to some queen right some good old queen um i see a couple thumbs up that's a new rockers out there so i had some queen playing and um a little radio gaga right and my daughter comes in the room and she's like what's this song i'm like well since you asked let me educate you on rock and roll history uh, this is queen and, and then you guys know the Live Aid concert that happened, right? And he just does that little AO thing with the crowd, right? He engages the crowd. And I play that, and my girls are listening to that. The next thing you know, they're in the other room with my old iPod finding this, and they're listening to it. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is not kids' bop. This is classic, right? I'm teaching my kids. I'm passing down wisdom. This is, this is a win for me as a dad, right? And so that night, we, Ash and I, we, we went down with the kids to Wilkes-Barre to, to eat dinner, and we were driving back, and uh, my girl's like, Dad, can we listen to that AO song? I'm like, yes, let's do it. So I put on AO, and they do a little chant with it. It's like a two-minute thing. I'm like, well, let me let, let you hear a better Queen song. I put on Bohemian Rhapsody, right? And about 40 seconds in, I can tell I've lost them, like not interested at all. And Gra- Gracie, my youngest, who's two and a half, she's got a favorite song right now. And it's not Queen. It's Raise a Hallelujah. She can't say Raise a Hallelujah. She says Hallelujah. And so I take my, my phone and I put on Raise a Hallelujah. And my whole car begins to sing. Raise a Hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And I was sitting there in, in the passenger seat because Ash was driving. She's a, she's a much more aggressive driver and a better driver than I am. Um, I say aggressive? I mean, she's a better driver than I am. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat, and Raise the Hallelujah is playing, and we're singing, and I have to look out the window because I'm about to cry, because I realize that my heart's burning because the Lord's here in this moment. Like, that was a, a better legacy. Like, my kids singing Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't burn my heart. My kids singing Hallelujah to God declaring his glory, 
burns in my heart. Does it make sense? And I want to encourage you this morning. The Lord is, is revealing Himself. The transformation that takes place is because by His Spirit, He's doing that with all of us in every moment. He's showing up to us. He's like, let, my heart, let your hearts burn. Let it be transformed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I want to do something in you that stirs you that reveals my glory, that shows you my power, that shows you my might. I want you to see this. So last night in the car, we don't have a perfect family. We're not always driving around singing together. It's not, you know, it's not always that. Like that morning started off with tears. Like Haley had an attitude. I was ready to ground her for life and we had to bring it all together, walk through some repentance and say, hey, let's have a good day. Like we had those moments, but in that moment in the car, I recognized his words, his presence stir us. And make us sleep, and there was a reason to celebrate. I have a family who's singing the glory of God. That was a reason for me to be stirred last night. It makes sense. Scripture says that He is our advocate. Christ now is our advocate. He is seated. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. So whether we feel like He's with us in the room or not, it says that we are with Him in His room. Does that make sense? We are currently seated with him in heavenly places. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells inside of us. So that means that every time I approach this text, my heart should leap because he is here, his spirit is here, revealing it, guiding me into all truth. He's looking for us to be people of transformation. He's looking for us to be people who engage with His presence along the road. And when we get to our confined time, our space that we've set aside to walk our journey back to the old life, He's looking for us to say, hey, will you guys invite me in for a little bit more? Will you go a step further with me? See, what we do is we give this, this hour and a half on Sunday morning to the Lord, but what if, let's just say, what if, On Monday, we made it a day where our hearts burned because we were aware that he is here and he brings transformation and hope and purpose. And on every Tuesday was a day that our hearts burned because we were aware that he was here and he's inside of us and he brings transformation. And every Wednesday, our hearts burned because we were aware that he was here and dwelling inside of us, bringing hope and transformation. What if we were people of his presence? Would not our hearts burn? What if I was always aware of his presence? What if I lived in a place where I hosted him well? I feel like we are like these half-hearted hosts sometimes. Well, you can stay for the weekend, but it's Monday. And I like my space, Jesus. I like my space. What if we hosted him well? What if we made a space for our heart to come alive? What if church wasn't about a time and a space and structure, but about hosting him well together? What if I was hungry for him to unpack his scriptures and to reveal himself? What if, what if we finished our set time with him and we invited him back in for more? I'm, I'm just proposing these questions to you because I believe that he revealed himself to us, to these, these two people, whoever they were, to teach us we don't have to be a part of his 11, for him to show up in the midst of your hopelessness and reveal his heart. And thankfully, we see the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to give us this every day. Will the worship team come forward? I'm going to throw a curveball in here and end this in a different way than you probably expect. I read a quote from N.T. Wright. Um, 
who's a, a British theologian. We, we quote from him a, a lot. We're very thankful for his work and influence. And actually, uh, Ben and I and Andy, we're going to go down to New York tomorrow. To, he's in New York. So we get to hear him for a few hours to pray for us as we sit there and, and listen and pray that the Lord would reveal truth to us in, in new ways through his teaching. I just, I just love what he, his perspective on Scripture. But he says this, looking at this passage in, in Luke 24, he says, he says, if we take Scripture away, the sacrament or the Last Supper or communion becomes a piece of magic. Take the sacrament away and, scripture, and the Scripture becomes intellectual or emotional exercise detached from real life. What he's saying there is that when we combine the biblical understanding of the covenant of Christ, when we understand the revealing of Scripture with the breaking of bread, our eyes open. We see this is more than just bread. We see that these are more than intellectual words. It's the two coming together. He's given us a glimpse of this new covenant reality that we get to live in. Does that make sense? So this morning, we're actually going to end with communion. Their eyes were open during communion. They, they recognized this is the taste of the new covenant that we have in Christ. Their eyes were open during this process. And, and I firmly believe that, that the taking of communion together is not just some symbolic ritual, but it is a supernatural, mystical thing that we do together. I'm not saying it literally turns into the body of Christ in your mouth. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God intervenes in that moment. It's something that he declared the church to do as often as you come together for this table, right? Remember me. And so this morning, I want to invite you, the same way that these two guys came together and their eyes were open, I want you to come together realizing that he is all of our hope. He is all of our joy. He's every miracle you need. He's every deliverance that you need. And we get to taste of that in the breaking of his body given for us and the pouring of his blood that washes our sins away. Makes sense. So if we can get the the elements out here together. As we worship one last time, if you need prayer, grab me or, or some of our prayer team as we're, we kind of stand around. But we're going to worship together. And I want to encourage you, if you need healing in your body, when you take the bread, remember his promises are for you. If you need deliverance from emotional issues and, and baggage or hopelessness, remember that his body is broken for you. Make sense? Let, let the words of Scripture and the revealing of the, the body broken for you become alive in you. Let Him stir our hearts. My hope for you this week is that even, even the act of communion isn't a Sunday-only thing. I, I've started recently taking communion randomly. I, I did it by the lake on Monday. I, I took the bread with me. I took the cup with me. And I sat by the lake. It's, it's, it's something that reminds me that this happened and it transforms every day, not just this day. Make sense? Let, I would encourage you this week as you take it, let it be all that you need. Healing, restoration, a, a new heart. If you felt like your heart has just been cold and calloused and broken and hurt and abused, let him give you a, a new heart. It makes sense? Whatever you need, that's what he offers this morning. So I just invite you, come together. Let's come, let's worship, let's take. Let our hearts be transformed. Let our hearts burn in us because he's here and he's revealing himself. Let's come and take together.